Hey, Stephen Key here. Part two of how to take an idea from a sketch on a napkin to full production selling in stores. And I just interviewed the, the president of the company, Jason. Uh, he came on, he talked a little bit about the very beginning. And now we have Nate. Nate, say the name of the company again, because it's a mouthful and I'm having a hard time even saying it. Yeah, no problem. So we have Klugonics, which is our development side of the company. Uh, we do uh, production or we do uh, development, uh, design, engineering. Uh, and then we have Onyx 360, which is our uh, sister company, which handles the manufacturing. Okay. And that kind of lands in, on your desk, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So we, we uh, do a lot of the, the production and manufacturing that, uh, and support our clients after Jason's teams works with them. Okay. So where do you, where do you produce? Is it just in China or do you produce other places in the world? Is it just in China? Um, so a large portion of our stuff is in China. If, if we have really technical products, you know, we're talking like carbon fibers and electronics and those type of things. Uh, a lot of it stays in China. Um, then we, we do a lot of cut and sew backpacks, you know, things outside in Vietnam, Bangladesh, we've got some shoes in Bangladesh as well. Uh, even some products in Taiwan. Okay. Wow. Let's talk about living over there. Do you live over there half the time to take these projects and magically make, make them look good? Yeah. So I, I live there full time. I have my wife who is American and our seven kids and we live in China. <laughs> well, that must be really exciting, I guess. Um, are you, oh, well, let me turn that off. Um, wow, what an experience for the family. Yeah, yeah, it's been an adventure. So tell me, what is it like taking a product and working with the factory over there? Is it something, is it something you're really comfortable with? Is it sitting down with their engineers and, and taking that those drawings, whatever you have, and, and really making this come to life? Is that a... Is that a, an area that you're pulling out your hair? Do you get it right? Do you get it wrong? How much back and forth do you go? Yeah, so there, there's, it, it's, we try and stay really tight to processes. Um, there's always a little bit of a, a messy point when you first get started. Um, you know, as Jason alluded to a few times, it's really important to understand some of the manufacturing limitations beforehand um, so that you can get your product aligned. Um, it makes a lot of things go smoother and simpler. You know, we've had situations where some of our clients have, have done a lot of the legwork themselves uh, and they've come to us because they've hit walls um, with the manufacturing side and we've had to re-engage with them and help them develop and get more aligned with the existing manufacturing structures. Um, there are times uh, when we're pulling our hair out, um, but a lot of the time, you know, if we stick to process and keep working through it, we get it and we, we nail it really well. We've had a few projects where, you know, like some of the backpack projects we've done, we've we've developed and uh, designed, developed and sampled within three to four months, uh, ending in production in less than six months. Um, and so to, if we do it right, we can go really, really fast. OK, let's talk about a pre-production sample. Um I've been working with your company from, from the very beginning. Now uh, that prototype I saw early on, we're going in production, it goes over to you, your team's looking at it. When do I get that pre-production? When do I get that one sample to sign off going, hey, I love this, Nate, this is what I want. When does that happen and what is that process? 
Yeah, so the pre-production sample is interesting. It, it, it really depends on the, the type of technology we're using. It depends on uh, the, the product category. You know, pre-production samples for uh, backpacks and soft goods happen very quickly. Um, you know, we can, we can get pre-production stuff done in less than a month. Right. Uh, if we're doing injections, you know, I highly recommend and, uh, doing prototypes beforehand, especially with multiple components. Um, and there's always, there's always an education phase, um, where the factories, when they get involved, it takes them, you know, a little bit of time to start wrapping their own heads around it. Right. Um, and that's really where a lot of our strength is, is we, we will work through the, with the factory through that phase, you know, cause Jason and his team and the clients that we've worked with, They've been with their projects for sometimes, you know, multiple years, and they have all this background knowledge and experience. And we have to make sure in order for things to move forward smoothly with the factory that the factory gets that same level of knowledge and experience. And they're kind of we can plug them in easily. So um, I would say, you know, from a time standpoint, we can be as little as one month. Um, you know, sometimes we've even done it in two weeks, depending on the product. Uh Whereas, you know, some we've got a few Kickstarter programs where we've worked with them for over six to eight months. Usually pre-production is following tooling. Um, so there is a tooling investment that comes about um, and following the tooling and the development that's that's needed before that. Um, then that tooling will, will shoot a pre-production sample off of that tool. Okay. So once I've got it, I look at it, I like it. Jason likes it too. We all love this thing. It looks really good. It does exactly what we want it to do. You start production up. Is there a minimum quantity that I have to order? Yeah, um, MOQ, we call it the MOQs. That's, you'll see that slang thrown around. Um, but the MOQ or minimum order quantity really plays into materials. Um, so, you know, like if I'm, I'm doing a blanket, there's no tooling when I do a blanket or a backpack uh, for this most part, um, but they do have higher MOQs because they have to buy the material. Um, MOQs come into play too with, with injection products. So if I'm doing an injection toy or a baby product, um, they have to purchase the plastics and, okay. and there's also a, a minimum order quantity because of the amount of time and energy that it takes to set up the machines and then run this machine. So, um, if you're if you're looking at plastics, your MOQ is usually if if you've got a partner factory, we can hit about a thousand to fifteen hundred pieces. Um, most factories like to see a minimum of three thousand, um, and they're comfortable um, anywhere above that. If you're doing apparel and cut and sew, uh, you can look as low as five hundred. Um, and then depending on how you engineer your product and whether or not you're using existing uh, materials or existing components. Sometimes we can get a little bit lower. Okay. Um, you know, most factories, if they are working with, you know, clients that have a substantial base, they're used to running sales samples. Okay. Um, but yeah, that MOQ usually starts around a thousand. Okay. So let's say I order my first thousand, um, but some, something goes a little wrong. I get them and they're not quite the same. Does that happen very often? And what do you do about it? Uh, it doesn't happen with us, <laughs> but, but we do have clients that that happens to all the time. One of the things that we, you know, Jason alluded to the transparency. Um, some, some of our clients get overwhelmed if they get exposure to the transparentness of, of what's going on. Um, 
we do it because we, we don't just expose them to the transparency, but we also help su provide support and solutions. And we, we have a policy that um, nothing ships and no payment happens uh, unless the product meets quality control standards. And so part of our onboarding process, you know, when Jason's teams finishes and before the factory gets too deep, we, we create quality standards and performance standards that are needed. You know, we had, like you were mentioning the uh, snorkel uh, device before. So there's quality standards in that product that require that the valves stay open for a certain period of time. And then the factory is required to test those periodically to make sure that the product maintains that level of quality. Um, and we do a final inspection at the end uh, to confirm that those standards were met. And we'll periodically stop by the factories as well. Okay. So it's really great to have someone in the factory managing and watching everything, is it, Nate? How important is that? It, it, it's critical. It's one of the reasons, it's the main reason why I'm here, honestly. So we have so many situations where the language barrier and the cultural value system, um, that's not necessarily good or bad, it's just different, um, gets in the way of, of people's you know, goals and desires. And so um, that's, it's really critical for us to engage and get in there and facilitate and make sure that the customer's expectations and, and quality execution is maintained. Okay, one last question. You always hear these stories about, you know, you find a manufacturer over in someplace over in other parts of the world, and next thing you know, that manufacturer is selling the product out the back door. How do you stop yeah. that? Um, this is probably going to be the thing you don't want to hear, but uh, there's I, I, you don't stop it. Um, you anticipate it is maybe the way I would come at it. There's, there's things you can do, um, but we have clients that have gotten IP, that have gotten IP in China and in America, um, where um, they've worked with partners that aren't really interested in strong client relationships okay. and the partners end up selling it and licensing it to Russia and um, or distributing through tons of e-commerce channels. And because there's so many layers in between the supplier and the e-commerce sale and the customer that buys it on the e-commerce side that they just kind of say, well, it's not my fault. I don't have control of that. So usually what we talk with our customers is, is we definitely say, hey, look, IP is important, especially if you've got something that's unique, that's going to change the market. Um, even if it's, you know, if it's simple enough where the factories can copy it, we work with our clients to build IP and then we help them understand the road ahead as well to say, okay, well, you, you're going to be developing your product now. Um, there, there are potential that even if our suppliers are really good, you know, lots of our suppliers we worked for many years, we trust them, they trust us, but there's situations where suppliers are always watching the market. You know, I know. You know, Kickstarter is a big one of those. Every time I always tell people when they're doing Kickstarter, that's great. Do it. It's a great way to promote yourself. Just remember that people watch it and even even non-suppliers watch it. Um, and you have to anticipate and understand that as soon as you go out there, you're going to have competition. So um, from from my standpoint, the IP helps protect. It helps support. But you also have to sure up your business from a business standpoint Make sure you understand what your launch timelines are and keep the product flowing. You know, um, suppliers are about easy money and development and engineering is not easy. Um, and so that's that's one of the biggest ways that a lot of our clients stay ahead 
is they just keep things moving and it's hard for people to catch up. Yeah, I would agree. Keep on innovating. How important is it to come up with something that's so unique from a manufacturing standpoint that it stops it? Um, it, it's hard, you know, you've mentioned a few times about small businesses, um, that have IP, uh, and, and then Jason, you know, has mentioned uh, a few about the large businesses and there's a little bit of trade-off that can happen because when you, when you develop new innovative products, sometimes that means you're developing new innovative manufacturing techniques. Um, and that can be expensive and it can be time consuming. Um, and, and it can be doable and it can be what you want to do. Um, and there's other situations where you don't want to do that. Like we, we have one client that does about 4 million a year in revenue. Um, she's got about 20 something employees, um, plus warehouse and all those things. And she, she came up with some products and we sat down with her and said, look, like maybe we can innovate just enough, you know, where we can come in with the manufacturing We're we're working with the supplier within their existing manufacturing techniques and also evolving it a little bit so that it doesn't make it really easy. Um, but we're not going into that deep hole of, well, let's build brand new machines that have never done this before. All right. And then we're, we're engineering machines and we're engineering processes and all that kind of stuff. We can become very, very messy. All right. Nate, great information. Thank you very much. Um, I'm sure we'll follow up with this because this is fascinating. But Nate, thank you very much for coming on InventRight TV. Everyone, subscribe down below. If you want a prod, if you've got an idea that you need some help, check these guys out. They know exactly what they're doing from front end to back end. They even got a guy out there watching your back, Nate, over in China. Once again, this is Stephen Key. Thanks for watching.